What's going on, everybody? We're back, Suki MMA, with another episode for UFC 265, but we're doing it very different today. We're doing something that we've never really done before, you know, in honor of my boy, Derek Lewis, stepping back in there for what looks to be an interim title in the UFC. I mean, I'm excited. Nobody gets more excited for Derek Lewis fights than me. And, you know, what's interesting, UFC 265 actually marks 100 UFC main card, like, pay-per-views since I got to cover UFC 165, Jones versus Gustafson back in Toronto. Probably the biggest night of my MMA life slash career and pretty much what trajected me into, like, where I'm at now. You know, we've really enjoyed the growth so far. And with this card, we're actually going to just use the weigh-ins, use the current lines, pretty much closing lines comparing to the opening lines. And we're just going to go right ahead and make the pick. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is basically a UFC 265 pick show. And I'm really excited to get it going. As usual, we'll touch on the uh, Vegas card that took place with Strickland, Uriah Hall, just a bit. I mean, two guys I want to shout out for sure, Jason Witt and Chris Grutzmacher. I mean, those guys really showed up and showed out in their kind of returns to the UFC, if you will, because they were definitely on a decline and had a lot of us kind of betting against them and picking against them. But there it is. I mean, I'm really... Isn't that why we love the sport, for God's sake? I mean, it was really impressive to see them just go to town in, those, in the way that they did. But... Outside of that, I mean, that card was just really shattered by some of the lost fights, five and five overall, 10 fights in total. So very much the prelims to the prelims of what is to be UFC 265, an absolute fire card. It seems like we have the diehards on one side being like, how can you not be pumped for this card? And the other guys being like, what are we even watching? But let's get right into it, right? I think that the prelims itself are going to set each other up so well for a main card. And Johnny Munoz Jr., we talked about him on one of our Prospect Watch episodes. And Jamie Simmons, these guys are kind of your young and untouted type of guys. But Munoz has a bit of a following. I think that he's hella exciting. The Nate Manis fight, right? That's what we really saw you know, in him in terms of just a guy who came in on short notice and was able to stay in the fight in every area it went to. Nate Manis, go look at that fight. If you look at the judges, I mean... He was pretty happy to get that win, and I don't think he knew for sure that he won that fight. No, you look at the Jamie Simmons side, and I think it's a little different, right? You look at the way he fought against Giga Chikadze. I mean, let's talk about Giga for a quick second here. That trajectory from a Simmons fight to now Dark Horse title challenger since, you know, mid-late last year, it's pretty crazy, right? So Giga, Giga, Giga all day, but... Jamie Simmons, right? Wrestler extraordinaire is going to be looking for those takedowns. Striking game was a little, you know, raw and and on its way, I guess you could say, against Giga. And in this fight, he's going to need that, right? The one thing I love about Johnny is that he's bringing a black belt jujitsu game to what is a blue belt and wrestling forte. And I think that's where you look at Munoz and think, where are the areas that he could really, really lose this fight? I think that the key path to victory for Jamie is actually still pretty small given the skill set. I mean, it's going to be the wrestling. It's going to be working in the clinches, control time, taking the fight to the ground. Very similar to that TJ Dillashaw fight against Corey Sanhagen, where I think Munoz is actually going to be able to scramble pretty well. You know, we've just, this should be, you know, his, his couple fights in the UFC now, if we saw him back in April, but unfortunately we did it. And I really do think this is a tough fight for Jamie keys to victory, like I said, is just using that wrestling and trying to see if he can use any of that control time and top game to do some damage. But Johnny's going to have a, a good distance striking advantage here. I think that he's going to be able to, if not finish him, really put in the work from a from a points perspective. And I think that's where you're going to see a line of, you know, minus 250, even into the minus 300s. Like, I think that's an opportunity there just for how good Johnny's going to be looking against a guy that we've just not seen that much. And when we have 
just kind of a fish out of water. Whereas, you know, seeing uh, Johnny on short notice against Nate was something pretty much to marvel at. And so let's take a look at these lines like we always do. We're going to breeze through this card and make a final pick at the end. But, I mean... Johnny Munoz opening as a minus 30 and now looking like he'll close around that minus 330 to minus 300 range. Jamie came in at a plus 185. And I mean, some people right now are offering at a plus 170. So you can get that one pretty high up if you're feeling the dog in that one. But I think it's a very tough call on that one. And I think we're going to go with Johnny. I mean, that's the pick here. It's very tough to see him lose this fight. And I think that 100-point movement in that line kind of suggests the same. So looking forward to that debut fight. And I think it's going to be a banger. You know, up next, we got two ladies coming in, Victoria Leonardo and Melissa Gatto. Now, Melissa Gatto is making her debut, but if you want to check her out on YouTube, she actually has a fight against Carol Rosa where she finished her via Kimura. And in that fight, I mean, Carol looked her regular self, good stand-up fighter, but, you know, got caught when she was even in top position and got the takedown. BJJ is going to be there, man. And I think Victoria having that Muay Thai style that we saw against, you know, Fjord, I, I just, it was a fish out of water again, but more so from a technical standpoint, right? I think for me, it's it's how good can she look with a fighter that she doesn't have to manage the distance so much. I think that Fjord was able to keep her at bay so well that even the combos that were coming in looked very Macy Barbress. I'm always going to have an issue with that, you know, the Miranda Maravik uh, fight. But in any case, I do think that she has such a good opportunity to prove that that was more of a, yeah, I took on an elite fighter in my debut uh, at the next level of the UFC. And I think that this is going to be one where she can at least show off a bit more. You consider some of the things that, you know, both these girls have in common, right? You talk about the Kung Fu background for both of them and one kind of going off at the Muay Thai with Victoria and the other kind of going into um, BJJ. But I think that's where these girls are going to clash. And it's funny, even though we have Gatto coming in as her debut, I think she's just going to have a really big advantage on the ground. And if she's able to kind of get the fight, you know, into that close range, get some clinch work going, I think that Victoria's striking game looks beatable, but she does have some power. And, you know, we saw on that contender series fight against Chelsea Hackett that she can finish pretty well, especially with that ground and pound. And for me, I really love the Dragon Ball Z uh, outfit on Tapology. So little things like that might uh, steer me in one direction. But all in all, I think it's a fairly close fight, but I'm actually going to give uh, Gatto the uh, edge here. I just think that from a practical standpoint like both these girls seem to have a limited striking background you know in terms of that kung fu but leonardo took a, a bigger step into muay thai but that ground game just seems to be something that stands out here i think that that's probably the biggest exploitation that um gato can take advantage of and that should make her a bit more of a favorite here nothing like that minus 300s and stuff that we just saw but i think that we have to give gato the respect of that minus 40 minus 140 minus 150 range really is kind of the uh the one to watch, right? I think that as a debut fighter taking on someone that we've at least seen how she strikes, I mean, if she's able to keep the fight standing and have her way with it, this could be a long night for Victoria Leonardo. So let's take a look at the lines. Like I said, about a minus 140 to minus 150 would be my guess here for Fergato. And yeah, I mean, we opened up saying it was going to be close. Line was minus 155 to open. Plus 130 for Victoria, but it's basically a pick em now. Minus 115, minus 110, wherever you want to see that, but straight up a pick em. And I think it really is that clash of stand up versus uh, ground game. But in my opinion, the Gatto edge there really does come from where I think that the biggest gap could be on the ground and maybe she has her way with her. I think we're going to see just how good Victoria Leonardo is at, you know, the MMA style of fight. 
you know, we actually talked about the Miles Johnson, Anderson Dos Santos fight already, but like just a few things to even touch on here. I think that it, Anderson Dos Santos almost has that classic style of fighting that seems to still be sticking around a bit, right? You talk about a Titan FC champion over Ricky Simone. I mean, the guy's gone and done it at the MMA level. I just think that in the UFC in 2021, it's a bit of a different stint. You know, you talk about his 0-2 record. Some of the things that you even see in the fights, you have to kind of pick apart what he looked good in. And even the Martin and Dave fight, I think that he got good top position, but then found himself in that guillotine, things like that. But he takes a lot of damage, you know. I think that's where, even if this is the kind of guy that can go to a decision, when you're taking that level of damage, his striking differential is minus 266 to 4.8. That's pretty significant against a guy like Miles Johns, where, you know, we talk about these outlier style of finishes, like the Stricklands and things like that. But for him to lose to Mario Bautista in the way that he did, I think that that was something that really threw me off a bit because we kept seeing the knee being in that area. He was, he was really telegraphing that and the corner was aware and it was just to not see that adjustment, you know, from, from miles was kind of an eye opener of where he might be at in his UFC career. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy who gave up a wrestling scholarship to pursue MMA and his striking is just getting better and better and better. And I think that that's what we're seeing now from him. You know, Mario Bautista is the guy who only lost to Corey Sanhagen and Trevin Jones, who we should have seen last weekend fight once again, such a great fighter to watch, but that's where I actually see this kind of being Miles Johns' fight to lose, right? We're talking about a guy who throws with significant power and the wrestling pedigree is there. I just think that he's going to be the better athlete, the 2021 MMA style athlete that we're all growing to love and especially these lower weight classes, right? You talk about the keys to victory for Anderson Santos. I think it's very much to beat up the legs. I think remove the movement, remove the power, really make this a grinder fight. If you need to make, you know, Miles Johns a bit tired to steal maybe rounds two and three after kind of taking some of that damage in the first, maybe that's the kind of fighter we see from him, right? I think that he cannot be indisciplined at all, especially with these takedowns, right? Miles Johns will be quick to grab necks. He's going to be quick to grab limbs, you know? And like I said, we're starting to see some of that power really come into play in his game. And that's what makes him such a highly touted prospect. And I can even remember the lines fairly well. And I would actually keep it around that area of that minus 200, minus 250. I just think that he is the fighter to pick here. If, if Anderson was to pull it off, it'd be one of those bigger surprises on this entire card, in my opinion. And I think that the only way he can do it is by attacking the lower body, keeping the pressure going, don't let that athleticism and all that, you know, MMA style of fighting that we're seeing now of everybody being a little good at like almost everything. I think that's just going to be something where he has to push pressure, get control and find ways to do damage. And, you know, his fights are gritty. And I think in this case, Miles might have his numbers. So let's take a look and see if the lines have changed at all. And I mean, not really, right? Minus 200 for Miles Johns. Some places are now sitting at minus 220, minus 225 with Anderson opening at about plus 170. And frankly, you can get him as high as a plus 175 now. I think that's a pretty close fight just in terms of where things might be able to go for Anderson Dos Santos. But we just outlined all the areas where Miles Johns should have the advantage and also where the kind of outlier is with the, with the knockout that he did suffer against Mario because I think Mario is a very good fighter and, and, and striker is the key word there because I think Miles Johns in that area is ever-evolving and that's going to be one of those things that you know stick out like a sore thumb in your own head and uh, that's going to make him a better fighter and I can see him really walking away with this fight. Cape off the... I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, Manel Cap's going to 
basically headline these fight past prelims. And I think this is a wonderful fight for him. We talk about his 0-2 record, and a lot of the diehard fight fans kind of see where the success was, right? For me, the Nicolau fight, I think he won that one. Even though the Pantoja fight, I'm not biased. I really think that Pantoja is one of those guys where you have to visually do a lot more because he's just so active. Even when he's tired, I think he's a great scrambler, good striker. So he's always finding ways to keep himself in the fight. Whereas the Nikolov fight was interesting, right? You saw uh, Manel really get it from his corner at the end of the first round and really turn it up in rounds two and three. He did enough damage on the feet, in my opinion. A lot of the control and stuff like that was primarily uh, early, and I think that's where you know he really smarted up in that fight, and it was just surprised to see him lose that one. So in my opinion, I think Manel's a one-and-one one UFC fighter, but 0-2 oh officially. We love the combinations that we see from him, the movement, the speed. That's what's going to help him in this fight. I think he has underrated work on his back when he's in his guard, and that's going to come in handy against the guy like Odea Osborne, because Osborne is a guy who really chased a wrestling career, wanted to be an Olympian and all that fun stuff, good timing, and really just fell into MMA with that being, you know, such a huge accomplishment to get there and only a handful of people can do it. But now we're starting to see him find success as an MMA fighter. And the one thing about his striking game that I always want to hold, you know, kind of with a grain of salt, the Jerome Rivera fight, right? Not only was that at featherweight for some reason, both of these guys are easily able to make 125. Well, maybe not Jerome, but that knockout was against a kid who I've just been saying and kind of dubbing, you know, one of those COVID UFC fighters who I think that if, if that wasn't the case and we need to fill spots fairly quickly with up and coming guys who were, you know, healthy or in training camp or whatever the case may be, he might not really be on this stage yet because we've seen him even little figgy, different types of fights where he even has a little bit of success in that one, just none, right? Step forward, boom, hit him clean. That was a clean, clean, clean knockout. And that's where, for me, this fight ends up very, being very exciting. If what is striking is getting, you know, to that upper, upper, upper level, I think that's where, you know, Manil and him kind of even out a bit. I think that you have to give Osborne a bit of an edge in that wrestling style takedowns and even working more top position, even though uh, Manel is able to attack from the ground. It's going to be a fun one. And I think that you just have a, a really interesting, you know, striker with, an, with, a, with a good takedown defensive style game in Manel who you know kind of reminds like a Portuguese Aldo right <laughs> but then you have a guy like you know Ode who, who's going to be able to use the wrestling if he needs to and I think that's where line wise I have to say this is very close and to be quite honest as a pick I'm just really really uh I don't know I'm kind of torn but let's take a look at the lines quickly and wow Minus 210 from Manil. I mean, I was going to say closer to a pick here with O'Day coming in as a plus 170. That is actually very surprising to me. And it looks like the lines are very consistent across the board, have not made much movement. And I mean, as a pick, as much as I love the takedown defense of Manil, I mean, I'm going to take him in a pick but I think that O'Day is very much worth one of those dog sprinkles. I mean, if that's someone that you enjoy watching or you're just excited to get these prelims going and want to have some action on the you know main fight of those, I think it's a great play. He, he's going to be able to surprise a few. I think that this number dictates uh, much more of a domination than we're going to see. And if that's your cup of tea to see if he can pull off the upset, not a bad option there. But I think we're going to go with Manil Cap on the uh, pick em, And then obviously... There might be some fun stuff in terms of sprinkles on O'Day, but we'll get into that a little later. You know, what I love about this next fight is that the UFC is really giving Carolina an opportunity here. You know, she's 
0-4 in her last four, but obviously fighting some of the toughest girls in the UFC. And can you believe this girl's already 35 years old? Not only does she always look 25 to me, but like it just seems that we were just watching her in that elite Polish-on-Polish war with Joanna. And it's crazy to see where the career's gone since then. You know, so much potential, and she's just fought some of the best fighters. And all of a sudden, now 35 years old, we're calling Karolina Kowalkiewicz one of the pioneers. And speaking of pioneers, right, a true pioneer in Jessica Penny, first Atomweight champion ever for Invicta. A lot of, you know, the types of fighters we see her on the first. She was the first, she was on the first card for Invicta, BJJ Black Belt. Like the things that she brings to the table is very interesting for a fighter that's kind of making that semi-comeback right now. And in her fight against Lupita Godinez, a lot of people, right? Controversial, controversial decision. But we're seeing a lot of these different styles of judging where it's like whatever that person subjectively feels uh, did more damage or, or in whatever control versus striking. And it looked like in that fight, they were giving the control a bit of an edge because Penny was just trying to make the most of the areas that she was able to keep Godinez in terms of, you know, locking her up in clinches and even having her, you know, between the legs and in triangle uh, threats the whole time. But outside of that, I just think she's really, really fun to watch. The things that worried me, I mean, you talk about a girl like Carolina who, in, especially in the last few fights, just hasn't looked the same fighter, right? But in this one, if she can keep the distance, really work the striking, because if you look at the Jan fight, there was an eye injury, so she took a lot of damage, and then a lot of the groundwork came into play. If Jessica Penny is able to get this fight to the ground, I think that she's going to have her way with uh, Carolina. She's going to have the strength, she's going to have the technique, and a lot of things that we've seen from Carolina, it's the stand-up wars. And so, if she's not able to keep the fight there at a distance, using her really beautiful footwork and movement, to get this fight in her favor i think that we're going to see penny really utilize that black belt and pushed up against the fence similar to the way she did with lupita and kind of eke out that decision style victory if she can't finish via submission i think that's the one area with with when you watch penny fight she's always threatening in that alliance mma right they, they have good game plans and they're just good mma fighters and i think no matter where you see the fight she really seems to have her way with a, a lot of girls and that's she's from that era where things were just always so close between all the fighters. And if it wasn't that way for every fight, I mean, I felt like with women's MMA, it was especially like that. And so in this fight right now, I really have to lean Penny just because of what we've seen recently, but Carolina has the striking game, right? So I'm going to say Penny by about minus 140 here. I don't think it can be more than that. It would be actually hella shocking if it was. And so let's take a look. Wow. Okay. Carolina, a consistent favorite since the opening line. Minus 125 opener and pretty much a, a minus 135 favorite as we speak. Penny, plus 105 opener and some places offering as high as plus 116. Very interesting. I think that Penny will have to use a lot of that ground game to, to exploit um, you know, some of the weaknesses in Carolina. And, and if she's able to avoid that, then you know that striking game is really going to be tough for Penny to deal with for three rounds. But you know where Vegas lies. I'm actually going to go with Penne. I think that Penne has seen a bit of a resurgence here. I think that the action that we've seen recently from her spells for a pretty good outing here. And I think Carolina just, from what we've seen, how much more improvement can you make, right? So, I mean, I think I'm going to go with Penne. As always, if I don't stick with this one, check out Instagram for the final picks. But I do like Penne here. Twitter and Instagram, if you'd like, whichever is your cup of tea. But I'm, I'm leaning Penny, and I'm, and I'm going to stick with that one for here. But let's see how it goes closer to crunch time. 
you know, what's really funny to me is that Ed Herman, you know, one of the pioneers of Team Quest and a guy that you have so much to remember him for. Now I'll only ever remember him for the Mikey Rodriguez fake uh, groin shot into a submission victory. I mean, when they say you're in the fight of your life, you're in the fight of your life. And if you believe in that argument and sportsmanship is a little questionable, then, you know, Ed Herman's your guy because he pulled off something that uh, he's a lot of people find hella controversial, but to each their own. And in this fight, he's getting a guy like Alonzo Menefield, right? And we just talked about how, you know, previous era versus new age era type of fighter. You know, the one thing about Ed Herman right now is for his age at the Waynes, he looked phenomenal. I was very impressed with how he looked. Energy seemed to be there. All those things that you want to look for was all present with Big Eddie. And the thing with Alonzo that we really liked is, you know, what are the chances of losing to OSP than finishing your next fight via Von Fluchuk? He had to take on uh, Fabio Charant, best nickname ever, the Water Buffalo, on short notice because William Knight wasn't able to make that fight. But he absolutely, you know, demolished Charant in that fight, was able to get a takedown almost instantly off the cage in a clinch position and just finished it via Von Fluke pretty quickly. I think that was one of the very first times we saw him truly utilize some some of the uh more technical style of finishing you know he's such a big game striker and he really was finishing fights early uh before the ufc and i think that he's been able to kind of get a lot of good experience under his belt even with a paul craig finish you know already there and that's where i kind of like this fight right if ed herman is able to get out of this first round or push this up into you know his favorite areas of, of the fence and the clinch game things like that team quest 101 this is a very close fight. I think that Ed Herman has all the ability in the world to take a punch and eke out victories in the second and third rounds. And is there a better fighter to do that against, especially when you have that technical skill to eliminate that striking game, push him up against the fence? Because if Alonzo's not throwing big bombs and landing early, I think that the tiring out, all of that fun stuff, you know, I think Ed Herman's really good at going to the body, combos, all that kind of stuff. It's just he's really good at all of those things that, you know, would break anybody. And I think that's where you see him come away with some of these, you know, interesting wins on the flip side. But outside of that, it's, you know, the, the many field, you know, MO is big, big, big first rounds. And if he does have a big first round, I can even see him finally looking like that, that three round fighter who's able to do big damage late. Because for me, that's the one thing that scares me is if Ed Herman deals with the damage in the first, how is Alonzo Menefield going to look in the second and third rounds after all the output? And how good is Ed Herman going to be, especially without the opportunity to, uh, you know, fake groin shots and things like that. So for me, I'm going to actually go Alonzo Menefield. I, I really liked the version of Alonzo that we saw in his last fight. We didn't get to see him for long, but the approach, the game plan, everything like that just looked really good. And I think that it's going to be a lot tougher of a fight than some people think with how Ed Hermit can be in those gritty areas. And so let's take a look at the lines. I think that might even dictate my pick right now. But, you know, Ed Herman opens as a plus 120 dog and a plus 210 on average type of closer. Jesus. And Alonzo Menefield minus 140 opening favorite, now a minus 250. I got to say, man, we're going to go with Alonzo Menefield on the pick him here, but... I would not be surprised if Ed Herman pulls this one out. And like I said, always check the picks on Twitter and Instagram for the final say. Get me to 1,000 uh, subscribers here on YouTube, and we'll get that in the communities tab moving forward. But till then, I mean, let's go Alonzo Manyfield on a pick and maybe a dog play here in terms of money bets. We'll see how that goes. Stay tuned for that.
you know, I think this is one of those fights where the UFC just expects a very exciting boxing style fight right here. Both these guys have that really good boxing pedigree, you know, as, as at that state level, you know, when they're younger, Golden Glove style stuff. But now you're seeing the evolution of the fighter, right? Even for, you know, Draco Rodriguez, his Dana White contender series performance, such a beautiful triangle he slipped in there. And then we talk about, you know, the wrestling style too of uh, Vince Morales. For me, the things that really stand out is not only did both of these guys face, uh, you know, Eamon Zahabi, but it's also how they both dealt with that win. You know, I think that it's, it's pretty crazy to see that Vince Morales was actually able to beat him. Whereas Draco Rodriguez pretty much you know, got flatlined in that fight. And to me, the one thing I took away from that is not only did he go for that uppercut, but he really did drop his hands a little lazily and, and Eamon made him pay, right? So I think it was the left uppercut, then the uh, overhand right came in as he dropped his uh, left hand guard to, from the guard and just flatlined him, right? And what's interesting about that is if you go watch the fight against Benito Lopez, despite losing the fight, there's a moment there where he actually lands the exact same right hand on Benito Lopez and drops him to the ground. And so for me, that one in three UFC record, it also comes with a infamous Chris Gutierrez leg kick performance that is just one for the ages. Just wow. Uh, just crazy damage, man. And it's, it's one of those things where you can't even say that that's just something that everyone's going to be able to do to it because Chris Gutierrez is the one with the kicks, man. That, that body kick and those leg kicks are insane. And I think in this one, I think he's going to want to show off that boxing a bit more. I think he's got some opportunities here to avoid the takedowns, things like that, and show off the striking. I mean, if he can land the exact same right hand, you know that Draco Rodriguez has been finished the exact same way. And I just think the better boxer here is probably going to win. I think that there is some opportunity for for both these guys to take it to the ground if they need to from, you know, maybe a mismatch in striking. But the one thing about Morales, I want to say is use the movement, right? I think that's going to be a key to victory for him. The thing with Draco Rodriguez is in that Eamon fight, Eamon was moving around a lot. He was feeling him out for so long. And I think that he pulled in Draco so loosely and found his shot pretty quickly. It's just that was a perfect game plan as well. I think he just pulled in the aggressive boxer pretty quickly and was able to land his right shots. And that's exactly what I would want to see from Morales as well, because outside of that, I think that this is going to be a very technical fight, a very much a boxing fight, but you can see Draco's style, right? Kind of that North South fighter hands up at all times, but you know, can get dropped too. So for me, in terms of lines, I am leaning Draco Rodriguez is a favorite here. I just think that he, he brings a complete game with some tape to support it. You talk about the fact that he's only been finished uh, twice via strikes with that fight at a Tony Gravely title fight at KOTC. So those are the little things that I like because Vince has never been finished via strikes outside of those uh, leg kicks. And I think that he's got a pretty good pedigree here to, to kind of make this a very, very grinding style fight. And, you know, being able to take those shots is a good sign here. So, Let's go with Draco Rodriguez being a favorite by pretty much a close pick I'm going to say minus 130, maybe minus 140. And uh, wow, ding, 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 opening line. So Draco Rodriguez is a minus 130 opener, but, you know, I'm seeing Bodog off of these guys that are pretty much pick them. And then Pinnacle plus 120. So you can see where this line is going to be played with quite a bit over the next little bit. Very close fight. Like I said, I think it's just going to be a pretty good boxing fight to see which guy can land big and which guy might have to take it to the ground and make it an MMA fight. I think that's going to be the most fun part about it. All right, man. This is basically outside of the main event, my fight of the night. I've been waiting for Rafael Fiziev to make his return 
just so badly. Him and Shavkat are pretty much my favorite duo in the UFC right now, and I'm loving their training regiments. I'm loving watching them at Sanford. And you know what, man? I, I think he's just on the cusp of eliteness. He was trying to get the fight against Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee ended up moving up. So it's just a lot of different things that are moving. And now he gets a guy who's willing to fight anybody and Bobby Green. You know, you talk about Bobby Green and the guy's a G, willing to fight anybody, went on an amazing win streak and ended up fighting the one guy who was willing to take on Islam Makachev, probably the biggest title contender right now, 155. And that's that's pretty crazy, right? Tiago Moises being the one guy that beats him in a very, very close fight. Some people even had Bobby winning that one. And that's the thing, right? You're always going to remember Bobby for excitement. And in terms of skill, it's the movement. It's it's the boxing that he does bring. But when you watch him fight, great scrambler and all those things, but he puts himself in bad areas. He's kind of a bad decision maker sometimes. And against the wrong guy, that's going to cost you. You know, it's crazy to think that the only guy to ever knock out Bobby Green is Dustin F. and Poirier. So, the pedigree is there. His ability to keep himself in a fight against anybody has always been there. He's going to have the experience advantage here too, but Fazeev brings power. And I'm talking very real power and not just up top. Like that body kick uh, is just, it, it's insane. It, it, it really looks like it stings. I mean, the sound, everything. He throws it with perfection. He throws it with intent and the power is, is all there. And that's for me where... I really think that Bobby's going to have a tough time staying disciplined for three rounds. Even if Fazeev cannot finish this fight, the array of strikes and the power that he's going to bring will be substantial. I think the one thing for me about Bobby Green is just keep moving, man. Force Fazeev to push forward. Make him make him work for those shots. I just think that's where Bobby has you know, a really good pedigree under him. I think that even from his takedown defense, all those little things that keep him in fights are going to come in handy later on. And if he forces Fazeev to, to push forward, use the energy to get this fight to where he needs it to be, I think he's going to prove something. The Venata little rivalry will always be what I remember Bobby Green for. I think that was one of my favorites. And it proved to be exciting. I think that's where you're going to see this, right? A striking battle. I mean, Fazeev, not that many fights, but 100% takedown defense. These are the things that really really make you kind of get excited and then you want to talk about people not being so human right the spinning kick that he got that he got absolutely destroyed with that 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 kick man i really think that magomedov was just picture perfect right heel guard was up lands clean uh out cold man like that was just an absolute beautiful finish and similar sean strickland right is that the outlier that just tells fighters like hey Make sure you're even more aware. Keep an eye out for things like that because some of these guys with really, really ferocious kicks can throw with lightning speed. And if you're not aware, especially footwork-wise, like you, get, you can't just be lazy and put up a guard up. Take a step back if you see that even coming anywhere close. But I think Fazeev has this fight. I just think in the areas that you need to be good against Bobby Green, he's great. And I think that even if he doesn't finish him, this could be a fight that he just does a lot of damage over three rounds. And those close fights seem to be where Bobby tends to lose. So... Let's go with Fazeev. I want to say minus 200. I think that minus 200 is fair, even a minus 190. I don't think, you know, there's an opportunity for Fazeev to move up higher, but I just think that there needs to be enough credit given to Bobby, given his experience and what we've seen from him even recently, you know, during the pandemic especially. So let's take a look. I love this fight so much. I'm very excited for it. And wow, there it is. Fazeev opens as a minus 145 with Bobby at a plus 125. And oh my God. 
Fiziv coming to minus 325 as a high in some places and green plus 250 plus 255 some places i mean i was talking about some dogs you might want to ride earlier that's an insulting line for bobby and as much as i believe Fiziv's going to win this fight so we're going to take him on the pick um maybe we don't bet Fiziv at a minus 325 clip when you know bobby can eke out some close victories but you know Fiziv brings a lot to the table and i think that with the body work the way he throws his combos and his ability to eat punches that bobby's going to throw over three rounds it just makes us a really tough fight for bobby for sure you no know, it's crazy i was really surprised to not see the bobby green physique fight on the main card but then you think about it like that's a great fight to try and promote the prelims for one because for the people that do tune in a little earlier and get that fight great setup for the main card and then you talk about just how elite a casey casey sorry you talk about just how elite a casey kenny and song Yudong fight really is i mean it, it's kind of crazy to see where these fighters have come from a regional scene perspective and even you know you talk about songs fight against kyler phillips i mean the movement was so elite and and that's kind of what paiva was able to exploit and kind of rip off that uh that that really close victory that most people thought was a draw but song was taking damage there but he kept pushing forward right such an alpha male style fighter he was a bjj competitor back in china and now he's kind of making his way as a wrestler slash boxer. But where I see problems for him in this fight is similar to where he had problems with Kyler Phillips. I think Kenny's movement, Kenny's ability to kind of really throw a different array of strikes is going to be a problem. I think that Kenny's movement against Dominic Cruz of all fighters, you know, talk about footwork. He looked great till the very last bell. And that was a very close split decision. I think that Kenny did everything he could to win that fight. And so... For me, you look at improving on that performance and the cardio is an area where I think that makes, you know, if that third round, he has a bit more energy, man. Whew, he was landing some great shots. And I think that's where you're seeing the evolution of the fighter, right? Kenny is not only a battle-tested veteran on the regional scene, but you just talk about the accolades. You talk about how good he is everywhere. I just think that he brings so much to the table. And even from a path to victory perspective, the leg kicks in this fight are going to be so key because Yadong Song is going to plant and he's going to throw and he's going to keep trying to go for those takedowns. And I think Kenny's wrestling and jujitsu ability is going to make that a tough bet for Yadong. And with that said, I think that Kenny just so many more great areas in terms of paths to victory right i think he's got a great chin i think that that's going to be an area where song's kind of eliminated as a power shot if he lands a big knockout kudos to him but it's just really tough to see any other area other than having to get inside the kicking distance to avoid any of these big leg kicks that slow him down and just land that boxing right i think that if song could get the boxing game going then work in those takedowns i mean dominic cruz was able to land two of nine takedowns so that's an area where if he can improve on those numbers, being the younger, you know, thick athlete, he's going to have size. If you look at the weigh-ins, I mean, Yudong Song is going to be the thicker fighter. And if he gets this fight up against the fence, into that clinch, I think that that's just the areas where he can do a bit better than standing and taking leg kicks for, you know, two, three rounds. And, and then obviously trying to, you know, go in for takedowns or throw big power shots to, to seal the fighter or come away with a, a surprise victory. It's just a really tough go. So, I'm going to lean Casey Kenny here. I just think that there's so many ways for him to win this fight. I think that the line should be somewhere close to that minus 160. I think it's just, there's just the wrestling in the boxing for Yudong Song, and we just don't know how good it is against a guy like Casey Kenny, who we just saw fight, you know, one of the greatest bantamweights to ever live. So let's take a look at the lines. I mean, good Lord. 
Casey Kenny opens as an underdog. Now I wish I just looked at the line sooner. I'm going to take Casey Kennedy to win this fight. I think Song Yudong is is just an amazing fighter to watch and he's crazy exciting but there's a technical side to Casey's striking that if he stays disciplined for all those rounds has some good energy late this is going to be a close fight where he can definitely get the better of Yudong Song especially on the ground or up against the fence if Song is tired and so right now you have Kenny pretty much as a pick em with Yudong Song and like I said we're gonna take him in the pick em. I love this fight to kick off the pay-per-view amazingly fun and we're gonna get right into the next one now you know, with this Tisha Torres and Angela Hill fight, the first and foremost thing we have to mention is just how great they both looked at the wins. I think Tisha Torres has to be in the best shape of her life. And to be quite honest, I didn't think that Angela Hill could look a lot better, but she just looks like she's got so much more lean muscle on her right now that I think it should help her at least be a bit more powerful, right? The one thing about her is you see the volume striking and how well she does against some of these fighters, but then she tires herself out. And some of these fighters that have good grappling and good wrestling, they kind of push her up against the fence. They kind of make the fight close and take it to the ground. And that's where Angela Hill needs to improve, especially as a, a fighter that we've just seen on the cusp of getting into that title picture, right? She just hasn't been able to outshine that top competition. And I think this is a great fight to do it. We talk about Tisha Torres having that long break after an 0-4 run. But, like, man, just absolute demolition in that last fight. I think that Hughes was was having a tough time with what we can consider the new age, you know, Tisha Torres. She looked more athletic. You know, the game plan, the style, everything looked the same. But she just looked faster. She looked really quick. And I think the hand speed is what where Angela Hill might eat a lot more than she thinks. Keys to victory for Angela Hill is keep it at a distance, right? You want to be able to land those kicks. If it gets up against the fence, you got the elbows, you got the knees to kind of avoid the ground. And that, you know, 76% takedown defense for Angela Hill against the competition she's faced, especially the grappler heavily fighters, that's very impressive, right? Four-inch reach advantage with the, with the fighter that loves throwing kicks, loves throwing long jabs and these one-twos. I think that's where Angela Hill can really have her way with Tisha. Now, for me, I guess it's one of those things where I'm just seeing that Tisha Torres potential that I always thought I saw, right? But she was thicker. She was, she was more of that brute style, the Team Quest style of fighter, right? But in that last fight, I just saw such a difference in athlete. And for me, the attacking of the body, making her tired, that's where I want to see her try to go at Angela Hill. I think that attacking the body with strikes, trying to make it a very dirty boxing, clinch style bout is what's going to help her not only tire out Angela Hill, who tends to fade as she has to go later, only a three-round fight, so only have so much time to do it, that's a key to victory for her because Angela Hill does have struggles later in fights. And that's the number one way to do it. Pummels, clinches, takedown defense, all that fun stuff. I think that's where Tisha's going to want the fight, especially as she works in those combos to try and shoot in. So for me, I think this is a pick em. I can't lean either other way. I'm just going to call it a pick em right now and take a look at the line. Oh, right. So, I mean, my girl Tisha Torres... I, if I saw this as an opening line pick em, minus 120, minus 108 was the opening line in favor of Tisha Torres. I mean, it's moving very well away, away from that minus 150 in some places. Angela Hill now coming in as a plus 120. I know a lot of people who I respect opinions of actually think Angela Hill has a great chance of winning this fight. And for me, it's about filling the face of Tisha Torres early, right? You want to use that jab. You want to keep her at bay with some kicks. Even fill that body. Beat that leg up to take away that power. I just think that that's what she needs to do very 
early in the fight. Take away the leg, take away the body, and slow her down, and then just start filling her in the face for three rounds, and maybe you score a lucky take, or sorry, maybe you score a really fun knockout or, or knockdown to be able to finish with ground and pound, but that's what it's going to take early in the fight to slow down Tisha Torres, and I think it's going to be a bit tough. So that's why I'm leaning Tisha Torres right now in terms of pick em. And to be quite honest, I think anything up to a minus 160 is, is very playable for Tisha Torres because I think that what we're seeing from her right now is kind of the revamped version. And when you go look at the four losses that she's coming off of, I mean, yeah, she, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> Man, there's no better grappler versus striker fight if you're just the underdog diehard type of fan, right? For me, the fact that Vincent Luque has only really lost to Steven Wonderboy Thompson and Leon Edwards is insane. I think he's one of the biggest unsung heroes in the UFC. Seven bonuses. The guy has been nothing but exciting as a fighter. And now he's going to get, you know, kind of that UFC 265 main card. A lot of showcasing. He kind of took care of Tyron Woodley in a pretty easy way in his last fight. And I think this is going to be a great test, right? We have no idea to this day why we were watching Michael Chiesa try to make 155 outside of the Ultimate Fighter. But great showings. But you know, tough, tough submission losses against some of the bigger names in the division. And I think that's where you're seeing Keza come into his own now at 170. The, the grappling performance against Neil Magny, the, the best part about that fight for me was watching Michael Keza beat Neil Magny at his own game because Neil Magny was not tired at any point of that fight, but Keza just kept wearing on him, kept wearing on him. And he wasn't really allowing him to do as much damage on the feet as he wanted to. And that's where Chiesa looked like a completely new fighter in terms of being able to execute his game plan. And one of those game plans where it doesn't matter who you're fighting, if you can take punches and if you can push forward, you might have a chance at winning this fight against anybody. And I think that's what we're seeing from him now. You talk about how little this man gets punched. You know, 1.71 strikes absorbed against some of the fights he's been in. The guy just likes to grapple, and, and it's fun to watch for me. I think that you talk, you look at a 65% takedown defense in a fighter, and that's a questionable number, right? Especially for Vincent Luque, who's now about to go into this upper echelon of fighters. I mean, Leon Edwards had a pretty fun time with that. And even in that, you know, the his tough showing, right? The rat, last, you know, loss outside of those two, that was seven takedowns, I think. So for me, it's just like if there was an area where I'm curious to see how well Vincent Luque can do, it's the takedown defense. Because I think that he's going to have a pretty uh, respectable ground game, especially off of his back, training with Gilbert and Sanford and all that stuff. But Chiesa's main game plan here is to take your back and is to keep you on the ground and keep you in those clinch areas. And if he can do that against a Vincent Luque, that's a big deal because Vincent Luque's number one way is to knock you the hell out. So... I think this has fight of the night written all over it only because these guys could very well go three rounds with one guy just trying to find that area to exploit his his game as best as possible, right? I, I think that if you're able to keep kids on his feet and fill him in the face for three rounds, this is going to be one of those fights that that 1.71 strike absorbs number is about to go straight to the moon. But on the flip side, you talk about 65% takedown defense. I think Keza has the opportunity right here to make this, you know, a 50% type fighter when it comes to takedowns. Luke is a beautiful Muay Thai fighter. He's got great BJJ, but this is a fight where it's going to be true wrestling, grappling, clinch work, that kind of style. And that's going to be what comes into play. And I think if Michael Chiesa is able to deal with that power, he has a really good chance of winning this fight. So I'm actually going to lean Michael Chiesa because I think the path to victory here in terms of just like being able to take a punch, he's proven that. It's just Vincent Luque to me has the most underrated power in the UFC. So I'm leaning Chiesa. 
not by much. I'm going to go with a minus 120 max. I think this could even be a pick em, So let's take a look. Okay, so I was definitely way off with the opening line. Vincent Luque getting the respect that I hoped he would. Minus 160 opener. But this is actually moving very much to a pick. And it looks like across the board, minus 115 or so for Luque. With Chiesa coming in as a plus 130 opener. And now looking at minus 105. So very close fight. Like I said, grappler versus striker. And pretty much the most underrated and improving best of the two. Because Luque's striking game right now is... You know, pound for pound, one of the best. And after Neil Magny, man, I'm just trying to think about anyone that looked that good in a pure grappling style MMA fight in the last little while. And it's really tough to think of that. So as for a pick, it's so tough to go against two of my guys that I absolutely love here. But I'm leaning Luke. I think he's going to be able to land some big shots that can put a lot of people on their back foot. I think that Kiesa can take a punch, but he can get slowed down. And I like Luke's energy. The only person to really kind of give him trouble on the feet was a Steven Wonderboy Thompson. And even Leon Edwards has to kind of had to kind of take the fight to the ground a couple of times to, to kind of get his money's worth. So I'm going to go Luke on this one. I think that the opening line suggested one thing. And even though it's getting close to a pick him, he's still the favorite. And Chiesa has just a lot more work to do to get away with this fight. And if it stays standing, Luke has to have the advantage. Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz. I feel like this is a fight we've almost been waiting for for quite some time. You know, it's just crazy to see these guys fighting at this point in their careers. But one thing I want to say about Pedro Munoz is that Jim, that Jimmy Rivera fight was such a rise that I wanted to see from him, right? You, you talk about those close fights with the Frankie Edgars and stuff like that. You really just see him becoming a better planned fighter. I think that going into fights, you saw him try to fight his fight and just get the most of someone. Whereas in that Rivera fight, you know, such a front foot fighter and loves his boxing and great wrestling, but took out the leg with, with just such technique, right? That's what I loved about Pedro Munoz in that fight. And, you know, what's funny is imagine a leg kicker going after a leg kicker. I mean, one of the game's absolute greats when it comes to the leg kicks with now a guy who's finding tremendous success using it. For me, I think Pedro just has to really do some damage in this first round, right? Jose Aldo tends to struggle sometimes in the first. And even if you look at the Peter Yan fight, you look at the two Max Holloway fights. I mean, Max Holloway still took about two and a half rounds to, to really get that, you know, finish in him. And Peter Yan about the same. Now, the Peter Yan example, I just think that kept, that could have been stopped a lot sooner. A lot more damage was taken than needed to be. And... For me, I think that Aldo does have an opportunity here to steal a victory in the late in the last two rounds. You talk about the Marlon Vera fight, boo if you want, but this is MMA, and that was a smart fight. That's where I'm seeing so much respect for both these guys right now because at this age to be able to do that and find ways to win, like that's what's getting you excited about watching these guys on the come up again after getting some wins. And and for me, it's just you think about how Aldo fights, right? He's gonna have that reach advantage, he's gonna be longer. But they both kind of have that similar stance, the similar way of, of kind of in and out fighting and path to victory. I think that's the one thing Pedro Munoz has to do. I think the in and out fighting and, and all of that experience that he's put into play. I mean, he's one of the main training partners for so many people at American Top Team. And you're seeing that translate into his personal success. I think that's one of the best stories in South Florida right now because he's a guy that deserves it. And some of these fighters are phenomenal. And he's getting those big name fights like a Jose Aldo co-main event on UFC 265. And... I think he has a good chance of winning this fight if he's able to kind of get in and out quicker, not take too much damage. Because the cool thing about this fight is as much as you wouldn't expect it, especially based on the guys that Aldo's faced, he actually takes a lot less damage than Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz takes a lot more. And so 
That's where I'm seeing a lot of interesting stuff in his fight. Talk about takedown defense, right? Jose Aldo is just one of the most elite fighters you're ever going to see. Because for me, for the amount of numbers I go through for each fighter, just over the course of time of doing this, Jose Aldo's for who he's fought, correlating to the numbers that he has, is absolutely beautiful. And that's why I think he'll always go down as one of the greatest and potentially the greatest featherweight of all time, depending on how the rest of this division plays out. But that's what makes him so great. And I do think he has a great chance of winning this fight. And I'm, I'm going to still go with a pick him here. I feel like with so many close fights, it's hard for me to make the call. But I think that this deserves to be a pick him. Maybe an, an edge to Aldo if, that, if it's like within that minus, you know, 15 points or so. But let's take a look. Wow. So Aldo opens a minus 140. Munoz is a plus 110. I mean, pretty, pretty even stuff. I mean, not even, but pretty close. And then now we're seeing it really roll back into that minus 125, minus 105 style play. I mean, for me, for how close this fight can be, I just, money-wise, it's very tough to make the call. I do think Jose Aldo has, you know, this is not all heart. I think that that length style of fighting, I think the in and out style of fighting, and Pedro Munoz was able to land a very interesting punch on, on Cody Garbrandt. You know, that's that's a guy who, who gets into those brawls, right? I think Aldo has the ability to take damage, especially for three rounds, and dish it especially for the next, like, two. So if Aldo has a terrible first round, I still see him having success in second and third rounds. It's how he fought so much. But on the flip side, it's like... Munoz has to be able to flow with that fight. If he's having good success in the first, he needs to keep that going and not get tired and start to fight Aldo getting his groove because that's what he does. And, and right now, I'm leaning Aldo as well for the pick -em. So stay tuned for Twitter and Instagram final picks, but that seems to be the way to go right now. All right. When I say I've been waiting for this moment for a very long time, I cannot explain to you how long I've been waiting for it. I'm literally wearing the shirt. Derek Lewis has been one of my favorite fighters for God knows how long. I've been seeing what y'all have been seeing for a very long time. Now, it's just funny. We made a video. We threw it up on YouTube just about how he, you know, finds a way to his feet at all times. And it's how he wins those fights too, right? It's all heart. It's grit. The man has power. People keep just saying, oh, he has a right hand. Oh, he has a right hand. But the intangible aspects of a fighter, Derek Lewis excels at it. The will to win, the heart to keep going. And it's like, finish me or kill me because otherwise, till that very last bell, I am going to keep coming. The, Volka, the, the Volkov fight is the best example of that. I think that everyone's really giving a lot of credit to Volkov in that one because he was just winning on points for so long, and then he got finished. That's where Cyril Gunn is, is pretty much probably a minus 300. I don't know. I think he's going to be a significant favorite here. And here's the thing. If you've watched the show since I've been doing it with, since, with Cyril Gunn kind of getting the fights he's been getting lately, I love the guy. I think he's basically my favorite up-and-coming you know, heavyweight outside of Aspinalls and the Chris Dawkuses that make this division so exciting. People might not find him to be an exciting fighter, but the type of fight that he fights, I find exciting. And what I especially find exciting about it is he does it at heavyweight. To be that solid on your feet, to be able to switch stances the way he does, to be that quick and mobile and accurate, it's just so fun to watch. And we have tape on both these guys fighting the same person in Volkov within respectable time where there can't be too much difference. And Cyril Gann was way quicker to the punch. He did so much better than Derek did, but that's not the point with Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis searches for his way to win. He is in the best shape of his life. I've watched this man fight. I'll say it and I'll say it again. I've watched him fight for so goddamn long. This man is by far in the best shape I've ever seen him in. And, you know, his coach Perez kind of said, 
in one of the embeds, if I remember correctly. You know, it's just what more do you want from this guy? He shows you knockouts. He shows you grit. He he does outstrike strikers. He does out grapple grapplers in his own way. What more could you want from a guy, right? And that's where I've always had a soft corner for him because he he's like your blue collar American hero, right? Just the guy. He's basically what everybody wished Roy Nelson would be. That's exactly it. You know, he got healthy now that he made it to the top and he's finding his way to the title. So for me, like I said, I'm going to give Gon the minus 300 because I know he's going to be that. But that's how Derek Lewis is the type of fighter that you bet on and you withdraw your money right away. You know, that Nate Diaz fight, that's why I got a soft quarter for Nate Diaz because that was the same thing against Conor McGregor. It's why I love Holly Holm. It was the same thing against Ronda Rousey. When you can pick those fights and just see a tactical difference where especially them fighting for the first time can be different, that's a big deal. Am I saying I'm leaving my chips on the table for Derek Lewis against Cyril Gunn? No. But am I going to pick Derek Lewis to win? Hell yes. If I'm going to pick Nate Diaz to beat Leon Edwards, I'm going to pick Derek Lewis to beat Cyril Gunn. I believe I'm good enough at this pick that I'm willing to throw an L to Derek Lewis because what he's done for me in this sport is something I cannot put a price on. So Derek Lewis will likely get some of my money tonight, and he's definitely going to get my pick. And we all know how he can win. Has to be just a brawl, right? I don't want to see him in these areas where he gives up a leg. You know, I think the best thing that people might not see coming is Cyril Gunn just scooping a leg and locking up another leg lock. You know, you talk about the Dante Mays fight. That was a beautiful showing of just how technical of a fighter he is. His kickboxing style Muay Thai with that ground game is just so beautiful to watch. And I think that's an area where Derek Lewis can't have this fight go. He can keep it standing because that's always going to be an area where he can do it. In fact, even in wrestling areas, I can see him sprawling. I can see him working back to his feet. Just don't give up any limbs. Don't give up the legs. I think that's where Gan can use the speed, use the technique, and maybe catch him in a, in a Michael Johnson-esque finish. So with that said, you know where I stand. Let's take a look at the lines. Haven't moved much. So Cyril Gan, minus 325. Looking like a minus 350 closer with plus 275 for Derek Lewis as an opener. And funny enough, some of these people giving you minus 340 on Gann when they move the line from 325. They've actually lowered the line on Derek Lewis anyway to plus 245. So if you're trying to take Derek Lewis, you should be looking for about that plus 270 uh, range. That's where you're getting your best value. I would not lay anything under my uh, plus 260. It seems like that seems to be the very, very floor of that line. And if you're betting on Gunn, I mean, I would say keep it below that minus 340. I think that you can see a lot of value there. Even minus 335 if you're on Bodog is a good place right now. But a technical striker versus an absolute brawler, uh, underrated. <laughs> I'm not even going to say takedown defense. Underrated, underrated get-up offense. That's what Derek Lewis has. And if you haven't checked out our video, check that out. As always, man. My pleasure to do this. I'm glad we banged one out today just as like a, a little pick em show to get this beautiful day of fights going. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Have a listen. Peace.